Hello, and welcome to the Legal 500 podcast. I'm Barnaby Merrill, joined today by Laura Kerslich, who's an associate at Sussman Godfrey. Laura, thanks for joining us. Barnaby, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure's all mine. Um, so we're going to have a conversation today, um, sort of largely centering around sort of access to the law, um, both from a sort of graduate educational perspective and um, a bit more broadly in um, society as well. And, and Laura, I think um, your story... Um, your, sort of your background is, I think, a really useful starting point to this. Um, I think you can probably explain it far better than me. So perhaps you'd just like to sort of say a little bit about yourself and, and your career up to this point. Uh, thank you so much for this opportunity to share. Um, so I, I did not grow up around lawyers. Um, my parents immigrated to the United States in the 1970s from this tiny island um, off the coast of what was then Yugoslavia. Um, growing up, my dad worked for a printing company making labels for canned goods, and my mom worked for a local bank, and uh, neither of them graduated from high school. And so I didn't really encounter people with a lot of money until I started as an undergrad at Boston College, and uh, that was really the first time I recognized uh, that the resources available to me and my family um were different or any different than those available to my peers. Um, and, you know, it made me a bit uncomfortable and I was sort of just observing what was going on around me and thinking, gee, everybody here seems to know what's going on and, and I don't. And um, so I was starting to work through that. After college, I worked as a policy advisor uh, in Newark, New Jersey, working for the Office of Prisoner Reentry. I was also a data analyst at the Vera Institute of Justice, and I earned my uh, Master of Public Administration degree at NYU. Um, and during that time, I was thinking about law school and had a few people that were encouraging me to apply. And I, I was really resisting. Uh, I didn't think I could be a lawyer because I just did not match uh, the image of what the lawyer that I had in my mind. I I remember growing up and my dad had the O.J. Simpson trial on and watching those lawyers and thinking, I, I don't know, that's not me. I don't think I can do that. And um, so I... I ended up applying um, at the advice of my mentors and got into Berkeley Law, which is was my dream school. I wanted to go back to the Bay Area and be with my family. Um, and I decided to go, but in the back of my mind, I still thought I couldn't make it. Um, I wouldn't hack it in law school. Um, and, you know, I was terrified of taking on more student loans. Um, and when I started law school, I sort of returned to that feeling I started recognizing back in college. Uh, it felt like my law school classmates sort of already knew the rules, you know, how to talk to professors and what they should be doing in terms of uh, applying to firms and, uh, and uh, clerkships. Um, and I you know, just remember feeling like, oh, boy, I'm left out here. I don't know what's going on. Um, it felt a bit ashamed too. I was asking school administrators for financial aid and how to study for exams. And, you know, I didn't know whether once we finally got grades in, what, whether those grades were good enough to apply for judges or law firms. I was sort of looking everywhere to kind of validate that what I was doing was good and good enough to be a lawyer. Um, 
And as I've been reflecting back lately, I've been thinking, you know, I think the biggest mistake I made during that period of time was just assuming that no one else around me was going through the same thing. Um, I'd look around and think, you know, people are so confident and uh, they know what they're doing. And I think that mindset makes it really difficult to make connections and to, uh, to, you know, let your guard down. And so my advice is to try to, I guess, lawyers coming up and people who might have a similar experience to, to look around and, and try and find your people as soon as you can and to, you know, to try to be vulnerable as best you can because lawyers from diverse backgrounds have just so much to bring to the table. And it's so important that we support one another support one another, um, through all of this. Um, so I'm very fortunate after law school, I went to clerk for two incredible judges, uh, now chief judge Philip Gutierrez in the central district of California and judge Kim McLean Wardlaw at the ninth circuit. And after clerking, um, I joined Sussman Godfrey, um, where I love my colleagues and I'm working there as a, a fifth year litigation associate. Great. Uh, thanks, Laura. Yeah, it's really interesting to hear that perspective. Um, we, we did an episode a while back um, looking at this from, from a UK perspective of, of uh, people who yeah, had, you know, didn't have um, parents or family or real connection to, to the law going through it for the first time. And a lot of it, I think, rings true um, mm-hmm. wherever, you know, wh- wh- wherever you're in the world you're, uh, you're going through this process if you're you know, seeing it all for the first time, basically. Yes. I loved, I listened to those episodes and absolutely loved them, Barnaby. Um, I was noticing, you know, there, you know, there are differences, right? In the UK, the participants there ended up talking a bit about their accent and how their accent would, would tell, you know, could, could, was a tell, right? And, um, you know, there are obviously different markers in the U.S. And, um, you know, I, I have the, I'm, I'm certainly privileged in being this white woman who, you know, grew up, um, with, you know, in this, in this household where I felt very well supported. And, you know, it's often the case I can go into a room and people don't immediately know this background. And so, um, it, and I don't have an accent in the same way those participants did, right? So it um, it, it it ends up put, I think um, like facil- encouraging some code switching, right? And it causes me to discern, you know, okay, what who's in the room? Like which version of myself can I be right now? And um, I think my goal moving forward is to try to bring my authentic self to every room that I'm in and really, uh, you know, really trying to be more comfortable um, wherever I'm practicing law. That's my, that's my goal for the next uh, few years here. Of course. Um, So something we talked about um, previously, um, I guess a lot of kind of what we, you've already talked about and, and what we're kind of attacking here is kind of demystifying the law in a way, you know, obviously from your perspective, there was a lot of, mystery in terms of yeah are grades good enough how do i apply to the right jobs can i apply to the right jobs and and and, you know other people seeming seemingly having it all worked out already even if Mm -hmm. you know i think we probably agree that very few people actually know what they're doing any given time um i i just sort of you know hit my head one day and i woke up here personally so um you know (laughs) um 
But um, in terms of access to law, and I think what we talked about here in terms, particularly in terms of clients, because you've mentioned obviously working as um, a litigator and, and having been in situations, clerking for judges, etc. Um, a lot of the you know clients or people accessing the law um, from a you can say so from a, from, a, from a customer perspective in some cases, it's it's a bit of a mystery there as well. Um, mm-hmm. and we talked about what. Um, you and uh, the firm do in this regard, and just a bit more broadly, you know, particularly in terms of money, primarily, but in other ways as well. Kind of how you help the clients you act for access the law as well. Yes, yes. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm an associate at this law f- at the law firm Sussman Godfrey, and I'm starting to learn more about um, how to develop business and how to take care of clients and. Um, I remember being, you know, I've learned a ton, um, and from the firm and the leadership there. Um, and I remember being so inspired, um, by Steve Sussman, um, who's, you know, the founder of the firm, um, who's import, unfortunately passed away, but he had this vision of taking care of clients where you would always get, give the clients the truth up front. You know, that you would want your client to fully understand the risks that they're taking on by litigating a case. And he wanted to set up a law firm that had absolutely no incentive to keep the client strung along on a bad case, right? So he pioneered what, what, um, what he called success or what we're calling success based fee arrangements, um, you know, otherwise called contingent fees. I know many law firms do that now, but, uh, Steve, you know, was a pioneer in that and did it better than anybody else. And, you know, his idea was, you know, if the lawyers don't get paid unless the client gets paid, it's going to force the lawyers to focus on outcomes and be more efficient. And it's also going to make the practice of law more enjoyable because the lawyers are not going to spend time fighting over issues that don't matter. And, um, you know, I was reading interviews with Steve and I, I have this, I have this like notebook where I keep Steve clippings and things he said, because I was just so inspired by him. And he said, you know, if you have an hourly matter, why would you ever tell a client that your case sucks? You know, cause the lawyer is going to get paid for their work, whether it produces a good result or not. And so he, he had that model in mind and, we at Tusman Godfrey and the firm will, will vet cases before the firm accepts them. And, um, and, you know, we know for the most part at the beginning, like where the thorny issues are going to be. And we're able to communicate that to the client. And, you know, if I were a client, that's how I would want my outside counsel to be, you know, to be straightforward, direct and honest you know, to, to have the same kind of incentives as I have. Um, and so in, in terms of improving access to the law, you know, those success-based fee arrangements also have this added advantage of getting more people, um, access to legal representation and the inside of a courtroom, because, you know, we recognize like meritorious cases don't accrue only to people who have the money to pay an attorney, right? So contingent fee deals and fixed fee deals, they, um, there are these strategies that allow us to uh, represent clients and um, 
and, um, you know, get paid at the end of the case, um, if it's successful. So, um, I think that's, you know, that's all improving access, both the, you know, direct communication and honest assessment of the case and this ability to be creative about how the lawyers are paid. Mm. And, and another thing we talked about as well um, was the approach to juries as well. I mean, because obviously, you know, we took one side from the from the client side and, you know, in terms of an actual courtroom setting, the way that you interact with jury, who obviously, of course, are also um, lay people in this regard, you know, generally not going to have a very extensive knowledge of the law and how that works. Do you talk a little bit about that? Yes, yes, yes. So I, you know, as an associate, I've had the opportunity to speak to juries. And, you know, one thing I noticed that rings true is, you know, happy jurors are better jurors for you, right? Keeping the jury happy is the way that you become a good litigator. And, um, and that, you know, that means, right, keeping your case interesting. Um, focusing on what matters and, you know, avoiding legalese, you know, to uh, as much as you possibly can. Um, because I think using legalese is like forcing, you know, the jury to like read tiny, hard to read font. Like it's irritating and it's unkind and, you know, it's boring. And, um, you, you don't want to do that if you're talking to a jury. And so, um, you wouldn't do that, you know, to your client. Um, you, uh, you wouldn't send this really complicated legal analysis. You wouldn't talk ad nauseum about, you know, legal issues. Um, the same way you wouldn't do that in front of a jury, right? You have to keep it interesting. And, you know, I remember, um, kind of, you know, thinking about where to go practice law and the people, you know, Steve, you know, the biggest example of this, but everyone who I practice with in the Los Angeles office in Sussman Godfrey just have so much joy about them when they're talking about jury trials and how to communicate the case and, or the complicated issues in the case, you know? And I think that's the approach that that's the right approach when you're talking to people, right? Like if you can't get excited about the case, you know, how do you expect jurors to get excited about it? And um, you need to be able to put the law in words that your own words, words that you can understand, understand. You need to be able to talk to people at the client who are close to the issues. So you can describe it with enough detail to the jury and uh, make it easy for everyone to understand what's at stake. Um, so, you know, Steve was a huge pioneer of this. Um, he started this uh, center at NYU to focus on uh, jury trials and what it meant here in the U.S. that uh, jury trials were becoming less common. And, um, you know, we're continuing that work through the firm, right, by being willing to litigate cases all the way through jury trial and becoming expert at it. And I just think it's critically important to get – it's a critically important component of democracy to be able to get your case in front of a jury and have people, you know, decide what's right. Um and for me personally, I always think, okay, this is, this is where I get to talk to people like my mom and dad about my cases. And, um, I bring that background to, uh, to the way I think about presenting a case to a jury. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Um, so then, I suppose moving back to the, I suppose access to the system from a um, from an educational point of view as well. Um, you mentioned uh, sort of work you do with uh, younger members of, sort of underserved groups, um, in particular the work with um, with Leap. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. I love I love this opportunity to be a mentor um, for Leap. Um, LEAP is an acronym. It stands for uh, Legal Education Access Pipeline. Um, the group started in Los Angeles, but has now expanded to San Francisco and um, and Los Angeles as well. And uh, I started to get involved with it um, during COVID when we were all remote, um, but now they're doing uh, in-person workshops. So the way LEAP works is um, it's targeted to students that are applying to law school in the fall and LEAP starts working with the students in the spring and it provides um, these in-person workshops um, on how to write your resume, um, how to write a compelling personal statement and a compelling diversity statement to apply to law school. And um, as a mentor, you know, you get a paired with a mentor. So um, I started mentoring with Leap in, you know, like I said, in 2020. And I'd go to these workshops and I'm sitting there thinking, this is, you know, fantastic advice that they're getting. Um, the uh, Leap contracts with... Um, a consulting firm called, I know, I know it was called Spivey at the time early on that, um, where, you know, people pay for that service, um, who can afford it. Right. And so Leap would contract with them to come and do these workshops. And I'd be sitting there thinking, this is amazing advice. I need to start updating my resume just because it's like, you know, I love, you know, I love what they're saying. It's valuable and makes sense. Um, and so, so they go through the workshops and then Leap also will fully fund the students LSAT prep courses and, uh, the cost of the LSAT exam for its students. Um, so the idea is to, right, create this pipeline, um, of students who have been typically underrepresented in law school, um, and to give them the support that someone from a family with more resources might have when they're preparing to go to law school. And, you know, since I've been involved with the group, it's been, you know, tremendously successful, right? Students are getting into, you know, um, Berkeley and UCLA and these great schools and going on that was now practicing law. Right. And, um, you know, I'm so happy to be a part of it. And I think it's so critically important, um, to do this work at, you know, um, I, we didn't mention, I didn't talk about it with you earlier on, but, um, Sussman also has, you know, developed a Sussman Godfrey prize, um, for students from the, top law schools uh, to come and work at Sussman Godfrey um, and uh, they get some prize money and they get an offer to join us for a summer um, uh, and, you know, potentially longer term opportunity. And, you know, this is all about just the recognition that the legal profession cannot become this stale profession that is only for the most privileged among us. It, it has to represent, um, you know, 
it has to include people from diverse backgrounds. It has to, because that's the way that the legal profession thrives, um, in the long run. So, um, so I, I'm hugely proud of, of what we've done in Sussman and then also through Leap. Mm-hmm. On the note of diversity in, in the law, um, I think it's the final sort of thing to reflect on. Obviously, we're uh, coming up to a couple of months since the uh, Supreme Court obviously um, ended the uh, affirmative action policies at um, US colleges, the sort of race-conscious admissions, as they argued that it... Uh, violated the uh, equal protection clause um, among among other um, arguments obviously there's only so much we can say about this um, and yourself as well but um be interesting I thought to get your reflections on sort of where we go from here um, in, in in a very new environment you know sort of decades of of these policies now sort of abruptly coming to an end yes um, I think it's something you know we'll have to continue to grapple with and um, you know I want to leave the commentary on the Supreme Court's opinion um, to the experts who practice and live these issues every day. But I want to highlight the, you know, like the importance of work, the work that LEAP is doing and organizations that, you know, might be in listeners' communities who are trying to create these pipelines. You know, this work is more important now than ever before after the Supreme Court decision. Um, so uh, if you have the resources to donate, donate, you know. If you have the resources to become a mentor, please mentor. Um, support LEAP and other organizations that are doing this work. Um, it is super important and, um, and only more so after the Supreme Court's decision. Laura? Fascinating conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you, Barnaby. It was a pleasure.